followers who are loving God, who are serving uh, or who are pursuing God, loving people, serving sacrificially, sharing Christ, as we talked about last weekend. And then in the subsequent weeks, the next three weeks, we talked about uh, three of our core values, uh, uh, three of our uh, first of our seven core values. So week one, we talked about uh, the Word, embracing the truth, and how we want to be a church that's it's following Jesus in the Word. He was a man of the Word. We want to be people of the Word. Uh, number two is authenticity, living honestly, that we want to be a church that's, that's living honestly before God, ourselves, and others, not about the image, uh, it's not about uh, kind of the look, it's about reality and, and learning that, that that's what sets us free. Uh, number three, we talked about relevance, reaching the culture, that we have the most important message in the history of the world, but we need to share it with uh, each generation in a way that's fresh and relevant, they can relate to, overcomes obstacles and stereotypes. Well, today we come to... Value number four, and it's transformation of becoming like Christ. And if I had to put this whole message in a nutshell, I'd put it like this, that the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, right? Now, this, of course, like, like all the other seven values, they all flow out of the life and teaching of Jesus. And so if you take your Bibles, let's go to Luke chapter 6 together. Luke chapter 6, so it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and uh, we're in uh, Luke 6, and this is, a, this is kind of Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. We often talk about the Sermon on the Mount, the, uh, the, this message of Jesus where he launches his movement, kind of lays out, here's what it's about, here's what I'm about. Well, Luke has a version of that in Luke chapter 6. And in the middle of this sermon, he makes a statement about what it means to be a Christ follower, what it's all about. Like, why are we following Jesus? What's the purpose of this? And so in chapter 6 and verse 40, he makes a statement. He says, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. Now, a critical verse in the, in the life of Jesus. Um, two words I want to focus on here. First of all, the word student. Um, this is the normal word for disciple in the New Testament. So as you read in your Bible, the disciples of Jesus did this, disciples did that. Not just the 12, but, but any of the followers in the early church, book of Acts, the followers of Jesus, what we would call Christians, um, they called them disciples. And, and this is the same word. It's the Greek word mathetes. This is the only place where it's translated student. Okay? So, so we're talking here about Christ followers, Christians. And the second word I want you to hone in on is this word fully trained. The word trained in the Greek is kartidzo. It's a, it's a word that it has to do with putting things in their proper order, repairing things, mending things, restoring things. This is the word where the disciples were sitting on the boat mending their nets, okay? So it's putting things back in order. And so if you put this together, here's what Jesus is saying. A student, a disciple, a Christ follower is not above his teacher. Like, we're not smarter than Jesus. We're not better than Jesus. Um, but everyone who's fully trained, everyone who's fully mended, healed, restored, put back in order as we follow him, that we will be like the teacher, you see? And so this is where I get the, get the statement that the whole purpose of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. Now, I, I want you to think about this because I, I think this is very different than the way we often look at it in Christian circles. Like, if I were to ask you, why did Jesus come to planet Earth? I think many of us would say, off the top of our head, well, he came to die for our sins so that I could be forgiven, so I could go to heaven, right? But that's really not it. Um, it's true. 
He did come to die for our sins. He did come so that we could be forgiven. He did die so we could go. But that's not why he came. The reason he came is so that we could restore and be like him again. You see? He, he's not coming so that we can be like we are and go to live in heaven. That would just ruin heaven. You see? <laughs> so, so yes, we need to be forgiven. Why? Because that starts the reformation process. That starts the renewal process. That starts the recreation process. That's the entry door into the process. It's not the end of the story. It's the start of the story. You see? Now, once you get this, that the whole reason we, we follow Jesus, become like Jesus, you start seeing it throughout the New Testament. So we're going to do just a quick little Bible study. And what I've done is i put several passages of the New Testament that kind of illustrate this. Put them on your note sheet just so we can go through them faster. So you'll, you'll notice there the first one under point number four. The first one is Romans chapter 8. Now, uh, this is a passage we looked at in our last series on the book of Romans. We called it The Way. And look what it says in Romans 8. It says, those who God foreknew. In other words, if you're a Christ follower here, uh, Jesus knew you were going to come to him. This was part of the plan. And so those who God foreknew, he also predestined. In other words, he planned it out to be conformed to the likeness of whom? His son. You see that? So God has a plan for your life. If you're a Christ follower, he knew you before time began. His plan is that you would become conformed to the likeness of his son, that you become like Jesus. And he says, so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Okay, so you get what's got. So God's creating a new eternal family. And the goal is, is that we would all grow up and be like our big brother, Jesus. You see, that we would become the family likeness. Let's go look at the next one. The next one is 2 Corinthians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul says, we, you know, as Christ followers, we are being transformed. Um, we're being changed. Uh, we're in a change process. This is that Greek word we've often talked about here, metamorpho, the word we get the word metamorphosis from. It's a change process. A tadpole goes through metamorphosis, becomes a frog. Very good, three of you. The, uh, the, the caterpillar goes through the change process, and it becomes the butterfly. butterfly. Right, so it's a change. And so this is where we get the word metamorphosis. It's from this Greek word metamorpho. And so it says, uh, we are being metamorphosed. We're being transformed. We're being changed. Catch this, with ever-increasing glory. Now, now catch this. He's not saying that someday we'll have glory. He's talking here and now, that right now, you and I are becoming more like Jesus, and we're sharing his glory increasingly. And so he goes on and says, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And so when a man or a woman gives their life to Jesus, they, they start a transformation process. The Holy Spirit is now living inside of them, and the Holy Spirit's going to begin to change them, as we sing, from the inside out to be more like Jesus and to share his glory. Third verse, Colossians 3, 9 through 11. You, as Christ followers, you've taken off your old self, your old life with its practices. You've put on this new self. It's another way of, another metaphor to talk about this change process which is being, catch this, renewed, underline that, being renewed, it's a renewal, in the knowledge of the image of its whom? Creator, you see? So we were created in God's image, we're created to be like God. When we rebelled against him as a race, we became not like him anymore. Now we follow Jesus, there's a, a recreation, a renewal process, so we become like our creator again. Does this make sense? You see this? Can, can you see this, how being a Christ follower is so much bigger than having your sins forgiven? You see, like, that's just like the entry. That's going through the door. 
Uh, but that's not what it's about. It's about becoming like him. Look at the next verse. Ephesians 4.22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to, uh, to put off your old self and to be made new. There it is again. Renewal. Be made new in the attitude of your minds to put on the new self created to be like whom? See that? Created to be like God. Um, in true righteousness and holiness. Or John, the apostle, next verse, he get, jumps to the end of the story and says, Dear friends, now, right here and now, we are children of God. If you're a Christ follower today, then, then you've been born again, and therefore you're a child of God. And he says, We know that when he appears, when Jesus appears, we will be like him. There it is again. For we will see him as he is. And so the whole point is that when we start to follow Jesus, that the, the whole point is that we would become like Jesus. So this is what I mean when I say that for us as a church, that our core value is transformation, becoming like Christ. Like we don't come together on the weekend services just to sit through a service, hear some nice music, hear a decent talk, uh, put a couple bucks in the offering and go home and call it a week. Like that's not why we're here. Like the reason we're here is to help each other become like Jesus faster. And if that's not happening, then we ain't doing what we're supposed to be doing. You see, that this is not about going through the motions. This is about transformation, change from the inside out. And so today, I want to talk to you about this transformation process. How does it happen? Uh, how does it start? Where does it go? What does it look like when we get transformed? And there on your note sheet, there's a section called Transformation, the Goal and the Path. What are we shooting for? That's the goal, the path. How do we get there? And so just two points we're going to focus on today. Number one. The goal of transformation, like what's this all about? We talk about transformation, but what's the goal? The goal is character, okay? If I had to summarize it, put it in a single word, I would say character. Like if you were to ask me, okay, Mike, so we're supposed to become like Jesus. What, what do you mean like that? Obviously, we're not going to start walking on water, you know? <laughs> we're probably not going to all be healing people. We're probably not going to be multiplying loaves and fishes. So when you say becoming like Jesus, what do you mean? And what I mean is we become like him in his character, okay? Now, if you, were to, if you were to push me more and say, well, could you break that down? Like, what do you mean by character? Yes, let me give you seven words. If you're fast, you can write them down. If you're slow, don't even try. All right, here we go. I'm going to give you seven words when I talk about character. Number one would be the actions. You know, what would Jesus do in this situation? The second one would be attitudes. What would be his attitude about this situation? A uh, third one would be emotions. Uh, how would Jesus feel about this situation? A uh, fourth one would be reactions. How would he respond in this situation? A uh, fifth one would be priorities. What's most important to Jesus? The next one would be values. What's, what, what's his deepest values? The last one would be choices. What would he choose? Okay? So if you wrap that up, those seven words, attitude, actions, emotions, responses, Choices, values, priorities. You wrap those up, we're getting close to what I'm calling character. Okay? So here's the bottom line. If Jesus had your job, your home life, your life, how would Jesus do your life if he had your assignment? Okay? So, so if, you, if you go to work every day and you're at the post office, how would he do your job? If you're married, how would he run your marriage? If you have kids, how would he raise your kids? This is the goal, that we would become like him in our character. The goal of transformation is character. Now, this is important because when you come to different churches or different groups of Christians, often there'll be different models of spiritual maturity. 
Like we say, what's the goal of all this? You know, becoming like, well, okay, so what's the goal? In different churches, in different times, in different places, in different uh, groups of Christians, we'll often have a different idea of what does it look like to be mature. And it's really important we have the right definition. Because if we're measuring ourselves with the wrong yardstick or the wrong ruler, chances are we aren't going to get there. So, for example, let me just throw out some things that maybe you've come across within your Christian experience. That in some places, churches, Christians, or whatever, the, the kind of definition of ma- maturity, and sometimes this is spoken, sometimes it's just kind of assumed. It's under the radar. But the definition is like biblical knowledge. Okay, there's a lot of places that, like if you know your Bible really well, you can quote all the books, you know the order. When I tell you where to turn, you know exactly where to go. Uh, you can quote scripture from memory. You know your theology. That in situations like you must be mature. That's kind of like, that's the mark of maturity, right? In other situations, it'll be more um, like participation or involvement. Like the church I was growing up with. I mean, if you, if, you, if, you, you know, if you love Jesus, you go on Sunday morning, you know. If you really love Jesus, you go Sunday night, if you're sold out to Jesus, you go to the potluck on Wednesday night, right? It's like, this is a mark of maturity. You can just kind of measure people on this. Uh, another way to measure people is service. You know, are you serving? You teach Sunday school, you do in a small group, you lead this, you do that, you usher, whatever. And so, hey, if you're serving a lot, then you must be mature. Uh, sometimes uh, spiritual gifts, I've been in certain settings, or have you spoken in tongues? If you've spoken in tongues, you must be mature. You're, you're close to God. Or, or if you have gifts of prophecy or healing or certain gifts. In some setting, it's like, well, if you're a leader, like if you're up on platform, if you have teaching gifts, leadership gifts, maybe you have great voice and you're a great vocalist, a song, or you can be a worship leader, oh, you must be close to Jesus, you see? And so then it blows us away because all of a sudden, like a famous pastor, you find out he's had an affair the last 10 years, and it blows our whole paradigm. But he was so amazing teacher. It's like, how could, you know, it's like, well, that can't happen. How could he be so gifted and so immature, and it's because we bought into the wrong paradigm. We assume that giftedness means maturity. And a person can be incredibly gifted and not mature at all. Those things don't necessarily go together. And so you've got to look beyond that. Uh, in other settings, it's a kind of emotion, a passion. For example, if you're uh, one of these people and you just totally get into worship and you're just really you know, sold out, it's like, well, okay, that person must be mature. Uh, in, in other places, it's evangelism. Like if you share Christ with anything that moves, you know? Or it's like, I've led 18 people to Jesus. Okay, well, you must be mature. You see what I'm saying? And, and often we don't, we don't put it this way, but if you're around a church any length of time, you'll pick it up. Like in this setting, what is maturity? What are we shooting for? What's the goal of transformation? And what I'm saying is that I think the best way, what we believe here is the best way to measure maturity is by our character. Are we becoming like Jesus in his actions, his attitudes, his emotions, his responses, his priorities, his values, his choices? Because the reality is if you've been around as following Jesus any length of time, you know this. There are a lot of people out there that know the Bible like the back of their hand, but they are not like Jesus, right? Or you know people that are they're like they're serving all the time, but no one wants to be on their team. Uh, there's other people that it's like, yes, are they going to heaven? Yes, but I hope it's not in my neighborhood. You know, we got like, they're going to live in the cranky town part of heaven. You know what I'm saying? Like, they, they love Jesus, but they haven't let their face know in years. And they, like, they're over there, or they're over here, you know. And so, uh, you see what I'm saying? But here's what happens. If we measure maturity the wrong way, then we don't know. 
Like in the opening video where she was, Steve was sharing his story. He's sharing, like, I, hey, not only was I a Christian, man, I thought I had it going. And yet his, his family, his wife, his kids, are, things are falling apart. Like, how, how does that happen in the Christian community? What happens when we define maturity the wrong way? In his case, well, I'm serving, I'm working here, I'm doing music ministry, I'm doing this and this and this and this. And so, okay, so see, I must be, you see, I must be mature. And so if we measure maturity the wrong way, it leads us to the wrong place, and we never become mature. So, uh, so today we want to talk uh, more about that and what that looks like then. And, and, and our goal then would be, um, as we turn to the New Testament, what you find is that the New Testament consistently defines maturity in terms of character. And I want to, I want to give you an example. Let's go with, uh, to Colossians chapter 3. Can you take, the, take your Bible? Let's go to the right. Colossians chapter 3. I'll give you an example of this. There's one particular passage. We looked at this earlier. It's one of the transformation passages we read a few minutes ago. It's in Colossians chapter 3. We'll pick it up at verse 9. This is what we read before. And then what we're going to see is once he defines, he says we need to be renewed in the image of our creator, he's instantly going to define that. And it's not going to be in terms of evangelism or worship or service. Or this. It's going to be in terms of these core character qualities. And so in Colossians chapter 3, and by the way, let me say, I mean, all these things we mentioned, like service, giving, leader, they're all good things, right? They're, they're part of the picture. I'm not saying that they don't play into it at all. And yet there's something kind of more important that we need to look at. So in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 9, it says, Do not lie to each other since you've taken uh, off your old self. This is the passage we just read a few minutes ago. With its practices, you put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of the Creator. Okay? And then if you jump down just to verse 12, Skip one verse, go to verse 12. He tells us, okay, what does it look like when we're being renewed in the image of our creator? And what you're going to see is an emphasis on character qualities. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, he's going to five five character qualities, clothe yourself with compassion. Now, help me out here. Was, was Jesus a man of compassion? Yes, it's, it was a core character quality, wasn't it? Um, Next one's kindness. Would you say Jesus was a man of kindness? Yeah, absolutely. How about humility? Was he a, a humil- uh, uh, Yes, it was one of his core qualities, wasn't it? Gentleness. How about that one? Yeah, very gentle. You think of how he dealt with people who were fallen. Patience. Think of all, how much time he spent with his disciples and so on, right? So, so, so Paul could have given us other qualities. He does in other passages. He gives, oh, but he just kind of, he throws out five as examples, Okay, if you're going to be renewed in the image of your creator, what does it look like? Well, are you becoming a person of compassion? Are you becoming a person of kindness? Are you becoming a person of humility? How about gentleness? Are those characters, are they growing in your life? If so, you're becoming like your creator. If not, you're not becoming like your creator. You're not going through renewal. See, so throughout the New Testament, it does this. Let me give you another example. In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul compares our lives to a tree. And he says that each of us will bear fruit in our life. And so if you want to know whether a person is being led by the Holy Spirit and being transformed, look at their life, because if they are, there will be certain fruit. He calls them fruit of the Spirit. So the tree analogy. So there in your note sheet, I put this verse. Galatians 5, 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit. And look, there are going to be character qualities here. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, doing the right thing, faithfulness, you know, doing what you'll say, keeping your commitments, following through, gentleness, self-control. There's a big one. Uh, you know, be able to control ourselves, control our anger, control our emotions, control our choices or whatever. And so, so Paul says, this is what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is operating in your life. If we were to look at another passage, we won't look there, but in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul tells, here's what to look for when you choose leaders for your church. Interesting, he does not focus in on gifting qualities. He focuses on characters. When you pick, when you pick uh, elders, he said they need to be gentle, they not be into money, uh, they uh, not have a problem with substance abuse, uh, they need to be uh, not quarrelsome. He gives a bunch of character qualities, almost exclusively, very little on giftings in that, uh, almost exclusively. And so this becomes the witness of the New Testament that if this is our calling, student become like the teacher. A student, when he's fully trained, will be like the teacher in terms of our core character. And so as a church, this is what we want to measure. This is what we want to be as our goal is that as we come every week, as we go to our life groups or whatever, that what's it about? Why are we doing this? We're doing this because the goal is uh, transformation. What does that look like? It looks like character. How does that happen? That's the next question. Okay, how does that, that happen? And let's go on then, number two. So... So if you were to ask me, well, Mike, well, okay, so I get it. We're to become like Jesus, um, whether it's in the way I do my job or the way I love my wife or the way I raise my kids or the way I do my friendships or the way I have my finances. And I get this. The goal is to be transformed, to be, to be renewed, recreated like the creator. Again, I, okay, I'm, I'm good with that. I get that, okay? But how, do, how does that happen? What's the pathway to transformation? And obviously, there's a lot of ingredients, isn't there? Uh, we could talk about the importance of worship or teaching or studying the word or prayer or service or giving. All, all, there's a lot of things involved. But if we were to boil it down and say, what is the most important thing? I would boil it down to one word, and it goes like this. The path to transformation is obedience. Okay? The path to transformation is obedience. In other words, as you walk with Jesus, what's going to happen is he's going to come into your life at times and he's going to reveal areas that he wants you to grow and change. He's going to give you new insight about certain areas of your life. And as that happens, if you respond to that insight with obedience, then what happens is that you will become a little bit more like Jesus and in turn he will give you a little bit more insight and this dance will continue. See, where, where he leads and you follow, and he leads and he, you follow. I, I call it the dance of transformation. Uh, he leads, we follow. He leads, we follow. Just like the ocean, it flows in and it ebbs out, and it flows in and it ebbs out. Just like day turns to night, and then night turns to day. There's this rhythm. Well, in the spiritual life, there's a rhythm. There's a dance of transformation. He leads I follow. He leads, I follow. And the dance of transformation goes on. And as we do this, then we change, you see. So he shows us uh, information, new insight. We get it. We follow. We become a little bit more like him. He says, great, let's take the next step. Okay? Now, this, this principle flows out of a passage in Mark chapter 4. So I want you to turn there in your Bible, Mark chapter 4. We'll see how he puts it. Hmm. 
In Mark chapter 4, Jesus has been teaching all day. He's teaching his students, his Christ followers, his disciples, his mathetes. And students are to become like the teacher. That's the whole point. And so after teaching them all day, he says in verse 24, he says, men, you need to consider carefully what you hear. In other words, pay attention carefully to these things I've been teaching you today. He continued, with the measure you use, and so he's using a measuring cup analogy. And that day you'd go to the store, you'd bring a measuring cup, and, and they'd measure out your barley or grain or whatever. And so he says, with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you and even more so. So what he's saying is that, he says, men, pay attention to what I'm telling you today. I'm teaching you about following me. Pay attention to what I'm saying very carefully because I'm measuring out to you insight today. I'm scooping and I'm measuring you out insight. Now I'm, I'm watching to see what you measure back to me. Are you measuring back obedience? Or are you measuring back excuses? If you measure back to me obedience, then I will measure back to you more insight. Says, but if you measure back to me excuses, you don't pay attention carefully to what I'm saying to you. He says, then you will lose even what you have, even the insight that you have. And so he says, uh, verse 25, whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Have you ever wondered why some Christians just keep growing, <laughs> keep growing and growing and growing, and every time they come to life group, they're just growing and learning, excited about the relationship with the Lord. Other Christians are just like flat white. They're like, you know, they haven't heard from Jesus in 10 years. You know, it's like they're going through the motions, going to church, going to life group. It's just, it's just not happening. They're not a good advertisement. You know, it's just like, it's just not happening. And you wonder, why is it? Why a guy has got so active and interactive in certain people's lives and not other people's lives? Well, Jesus is telling us here. He says in verse 25 that uh, whoever has will be given more. Like if you have the insight and you're acting on the insight, he's going to give you more insight and you're going to keep changing and life's going to be exciting. It's going to be an adventure. But, but he says, on the other hand, uh, whoever does not have, you don't have the insight, you've not acted on it, so you've lost even the insight you have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Let me explain how this works. When God speaks in our life, and, and you know how this happens, I mean, he speaks so many different ways, but, but let me give you one example. You're sitting here in church, and you know this feeling, that so, whoever's teaching is teaching away, and all of a sudden you feel like, man, this message is just for me. You know what I'm talking about? I know you do, because you tell me about it all the time. And, and so, you're like, I don't know why everyone else here is butting into my sermon. <laughs> this was clearly for me. If you want to stay, that's fine. It's clearly for you. Know, you know that feeling? Okay, that feeling. What's going on there is the Holy Spirit is taking the Word of God and He's applying it to your life in a very personal way. That's why it feels like that. It's not because the sermon is necessarily so amazing. It's because the Holy Spirit is taking that and going, this is for you. And He's opening up your mind to get it. Okay, now at that moment, God is speaking to you about an area of your life. It might be an attitude. It might be a relationship. It could be a financial thing. It could be anything, but he's speaking to you. And so now Jesus is watching what you do with that. And so, so God is speaking. It's kind of like you're going across the radio dial, and all of a sudden you tune it in, and boom, he comes on. 
Now, we can either do one of two things. When God speaks, we can say, what was that? And turn it up. Or we can say, oh, I don't think I like that. Let's change the station. Right? And if we change, change the station, what have we done? We're no longer on the God station. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, we're feeling better now. Because that was bugging me. But all of a sudden, we're not hearing from God anymore. We don't realize there's a price to pay when you change the station. You see? Uh, let me put it another way. I, sometimes I call this the dimmer switch principle. You might have heard me say that before. They're like just the way like a, a halogen light or your, the wall switch. You've got, you've got a, a dimmer switch. You can turn lights up and down. Here's what Jesus is saying. Is that when, he says, when I bring insight into your life, it's like I just turn the light up. And what it does is exposes an area of your life that needs to change. It's like I see who Jesus is. I see who I, where I am. And there's a gap. And I need to become more like him. And so here's what I need to do to obey. Now, if we don't want to change, what do we do? We reach over and we turn the light down. Because now it's comfortable again. I don't see the dirt on the floor because it's so dark in here. Right? It's like your house. You know, it's like, like if you don't like the way it looks, turn the lights out. You know, close the door. Not a problem anymore. House is now clean. Right? And we can do this spiritually can't we? It's like God begins to show us something in the area of growth, and we're like, I'm not so sure, and so we turn the light down. And this is what he's saying. Think what happens. This is exactly what happens. When God speaks to us in an area of our life, and we don't like it, and we ignore it, uh, basically what happens is we decide, I don't want to hear that anymore. And psychologists have a term for this. It's called cognitive dissonance. When your beliefs and your behavior don't match, you have to change one. We can't, as human beings, we cannot live with a belief system that's out of touch with our behavior. So we will either change our beliefs to match our behavior, or we change our behavior to match our beliefs. And so when God comes and says, hey, you're not being a good husband, look at this. If we don't want to hear that, what we do, we change our, it's not that I'm not a good husband, it's that um, I need to look at this differently. And we change our belief system, and now the light has gone out, and we have lost the very insight that the Holy Spirit was giving us that was going to lead us into new freedom. Does this make sense? And so this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying to those who have, more will be given. To those who don't have, even what you have will be taken away. Okay. So, so he comes to us, and this is how he begins to speak. God begins to speak to us, and it could be in any area of your life. It could be about your work ethic. It could be about your finances. It could be about your relationships. Remember, he's for you, not against you. He wants to set you free. And so he begins to teach. Now, uh, let me give you a couple of practical examples of how this works from our own congregation. I want to give you two examples from the last two weeks. I just want to get real practical. A couple weeks ago, uh, Lynn and I had dinner with a, a couple in the church. They're, they're pretty new. They've only been coming since about last Easter. God just got a hold of their life in an amazing way. And they are being transformed from the inside out big time. And we had dinner with them just to hear more of their story. And, and so he was sharing with me that a few months ago, they had this experience where um, he, ever since he's come to Christ, he's just had this hunger for the Word. And so every day he's reading the Word and praying. And he's just, God's speaking to him and showing him stuff. And it's alive. And it's just been awesome. Well, anyway... All of a sudden, he's in prayer one day a few months ago, and God brings to mind something he'd done about four, four years ago that he'd forgotten. He, he was uh, addicted to crystal meth at the time, and so at the time, he'd stolen about $1,200 of supplies from the place where he worked to pay for his addiction. he never gotten caught. And now it's four years later. He's following Jesus. He's really growing like a weed, and Jesus brings this up to him. 
this four-year-old uh, theft. And, and so he knows what God wants him to do. He wants him to go back and to tell him what he did, to make restitution, to pay it, and, and to put his life. And he's fine with that, but the thing that scares him to death is he might lose his job. He works for this big company. There's two rules in the company. There's only two things that get you fired. Sexual harassment, that's fine. Not, but two things, that, two things that will get you fired in this company. One is fighting on the job. It's kind of a construction type thing. The other, the other thing is stealing. The only two things. Anything else, you're, you're fine. You can get promoted. But those two things. And so, and he told us real life stories of promotions. But anyway, but those two things. And so he knows this. And so, but God's all over him. So what does he do? The, God gives a measure out some insight. You want to be a man of integrity? You want to be like Jesus? Okay, here's your next step. You need to go make this right. He's like, I don't think so. Uh, this economy, I don't want to lose my job, worked there 19 years. I, no, I, I don't. So for about two weeks, he tries to, like, ignore this. But, but, but God is all over him. And so finally, I mean, he can't read the word anymore. His prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. The light's going out. And so finally, he talks to his wife. They agree that he will take this step. He'll risk it all. So he writes this long letter that leads to a, a meeting with his boss's boss and then the big boss downtown L.A. They go in there, and he shares his story, and he shares it, and he says, listen, he said, four years ago, I stole this from the company. I've paid it. Here's a check to pay it back. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I've never done this thing before. I've never done it again. But Jesus Christ has come in my life. I've been addicted to crystal meth. He set me free. It's a miracle. And, and so he's telling me I need to do this. And so that's why I'm here. And I, I'm asking for your mercy on my family. And this, this big boss, you know, over just you know, thousands of people, this big boss who's not a Christ follower, not a Christian, uh, looks at him and says, what you're asking me is to forgive you for this. He's, that's what I'm asking. He says, well, I, you understand. I have the power to forgive you. I have the power to, to uh, fire you. He says, I understand that. I'm asking for mercy, but whether you do or not, this is what God's telling me I need to do. I need to make this right. And so the man says, well, don't let this get out between the three of us. He says, but, he says, I believe you. And he said, if you will make me the promise that you will continue on this new path you're on, then I will let you keep your job. And it ends right here. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> this is awesome. Yeah. Hey, can I tell you something? That fires me up as a pastor because that's what it's all about. That's what I'm talking about, character change. The world is sick of seeing Christians who claim to be followers of Jesus and aren't like him at all. It's like we, if we're going to impact this world, we need to start following, you see? And I love this because the guy's willing to put on, but here's what happened. Light goes on in his life. Here's what's supposed to happen. He's got a tough choice. And guess what? He became like Jesus by making the tough choice. And that man is a different man today because of that choice, because he made the character choice. He followed Jesus, and now he's a little bit more like Jesus, you see? And the process goes on. If he had said no to Jesus, can I tell you what would happen? The light would have gone out, and he would have become a boring Christian. And 10 years from now, he would be telling the story of how Jesus once set him free from crystal meth, and it was amazing. And he, the best story of his life is what happened 10 years ago because nothing has happened since, you see? And so if we want to be experiencing transformation, you do the dance. He leaves the follow. Now, let me tell you another story. This is uh, one that happened this last week, last 10 days. 
I got an email from a, ch- a woman. She's been in church about six months. She and her husband started coming here. They have some young kids. She's Asian background, so her family uh, on, on her side is very hierarchical, uh, kind of Asian-type culture. And but on top of that, her, her parents are just very uh, kind of abusive-type people, really, and they're just very domineering. And so when they start having kids, uh, the parents would start coming over to their house uh, just any time, day, night, no warning, just show up, stay as long as they want. Uh, didn't really respect their husband. He was a great guy, but they wouldn't respect him. They just opened the door, walk in, wouldn't even say hi to him, just where the kids. When they'd try to set any boundaries on the parents, the parents would start attacking them, what bad kids they were, attacking the daughter, the horrible son. He wants to spend too much time with his kids. That's not normal. He doesn't need that much time. And so it was very oppressive. And so she's writing to me saying, Mike, what do you think I should do? And so here's my two cents on it. And we talked about marriage, and we talked about when you get married, you leave your, your mother and father. You cling to your, your husband or your, your wife, that, that, that your spouse becomes the most important person in your life. You don't let anyone get in the way of that relationship. And that, um, that she, she needs to stand for this with kindness and love, but she needs to set down some boundaries. And, and if she loses the relationship, well, okay, you lose it. But my fear for you, I told her, was that you're going to lose your marriage. This will, be, this will destroy your marriage if you don't get this right. And this is so dangerous. And so that's my two cents. And she writes back and says, that's exactly what the Holy Spirit's been telling me. <laughs> and, and so she said, okay, so I get it. You're right. He's been telling me this for months. And so, okay, so I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to wait. I'm getting stronger. I'm going to have a conversation then with my parents. And I'm going to you know, lovingly tell them this is the way it is. And this is my husband. It's the head of our family. I love him. He's my top priority. We would love to have a relationship with you. But you just can't come whenever you, you want. And I'm going to spell it out. And she said, and if I lose the relationship, I lose the relationship. But I feel like God is calling me to this. I have to have the courage. Now, here's what's going to happen. I can tell you in her life, first of all, her marriage is going to get healthy. Second thing that's going to happen is that her kids are going to grow up with a healthy paradigm of relationship. The sins of the fathers and mothers are going to stop with this generation. And their future marriages are being protected because of that. But can I tell you what else is happening? This is the best thing, is that she's becoming like Jesus. Because if Jesus was anything, he was a man of courage. He was willing to do the right thing regardless of the cost. And standing up to her past and standing up to her parents, she's becoming a lot more like Jesus. You see? But what happens if she says, no, I don't want to offend them or whatever. Her life's going to fall apart. Her marriage is going to fall apart. Her kids are going to end up dysfunctional. She's going to lose herself in the process. And she's going to wake up someday and not even know who she is. You see? She's a follower of Jesus who's not experiencing him in in life. You see what I'm saying? This is how it works is that God comes to us, he gives us insight, and then he says, pay careful attention to what I've taught you. Because with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. The one who has will receive more, but the one who doesn't have will lose even the insight that they had to start with. You see? Okay. So, this is how it works. Now, The question for you as we begin to wrap this up, I want to ask you a couple questions as we've done every week of self-evaluation. Where do you stand with this, this value of transformation? And so three simple questions there on your notes you're going to run through real quickly. Number one, this is what you can expect from us as a church. Because this is our value, 
transformation, what you expect is that you can expect that we will always be talking to you about character issues. We'll always be, because that's how we measure. Right? Um, and you can expect that we'll always be talking about transformation, becoming like Jesus. And you can expect this, that we will always challenge you to obedience. Like if you're looking for a church that you can come and stay the same, I would recommend, honestly, looking for a new church. It's just going to be uncomfortable for you. Because we're not about staying the same here. We're about becoming like him, student like the teacher. This is not a comfortable place just to come and sit and soak and just be as messed up as we currently are. Right? We're a group of Christ followers. We admit we're messed up, but we're all about getting better. Right? Amen. Amen. All right. Okay, so here we go. Three questions. Number one, how do you measure spiritual maturity in your life? How do you measure that? And based on how you were raised or your, your background, this is a really important question because if you measure it the wrong way, then you'll never really know whether you're mature or not. So, like, if you measure it by service and you're involved in three ministries here, you can assume you're mature, and then, but you really maybe aren't. And everyone around you knows it, but you don't know it. And so if we use the wrong measuring stick, then we'll never really grow. And so I think the right one is this character of Jesus that we've talked about. Number two, the second question is, are you changing? Now, I hope you picked this up today. The whole point of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, which means change. It means transformation. And so the question is, are you changing? Like, are you different today than you were a year ago in your attitudes, actions, responses, emotions, Choices, priorities, values. If you are not different, then can I tell you something? Something is wrong. Because we've seen the Holy Spirit is going to be transforming you to be like Jesus more and more. If that's not going on, it means something is wrong. And we need to figure out what that is. Now, sometimes, honestly, it's hard to see change in ourselves because we're so close. But if you're having a hard time, ask those who are closest to you. Because they can tell you. They can tell you, are you changing? Okay, now, number three, the third question is, are you ready to follow? We've seen today that the path to transformation is obedience. And so the question is, are you ready to follow? Why do you come to church? Why do you join a life group? Uh, is it to change? And, and as God speaks to you, are you ready to follow? I'm not talking about getting your whole life together overnight. I'm talking about just, what, what's the Holy Spirit telling you today in this season? Just listening to that. Just surrendering to that. Just following you that. Because if you're ready to follow, then you'll be transformed. If you're not willing to follow, you won't be transformed. It's as simple as that. See? So is there any area of your life right now you're saying to Jesus, no on? No. I don't want to hear that message. Turn the station. If your life is boring right now, in your most honest minutes, you say, my spiritual life is boring, it's flatlined, I admit it, then here's my question. Go back and ask Jesus if there's anything in the past where you've said no to him, where you've turned the station, and that's why you're not hearing from him anymore. Because often I found this is the case, that when we're, our lives are boring and mundane spiritually, it's often because there was an issue. It might be five years ago, it could be three years ago, it could be ten years ago, it could be twenty years ago, where you said, no, I will not listen to you on this. And then the lights began to win out. And you just become accustomed to it being boring. But 
So this is a, a really good question. Are you ready to follow? Now, let's, uh, let's wrap this up. Let's go and turn down the lights. We're going to close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's talk about our future. Let's walk into our future together. Let's talk about where, what will this church look like as we move into this future, as we embrace transformation as a core value. I, I think the first thing that I see is I see a church that's a place of adventure. It's a hotbed of adventure. It's like... God is on the move. God is alive. He's active. He's interacting. We're sensing his leading. We're sensing his moving. And what this does is it brings a whole new sense of purpose and freedom and excitement to life. And so, and so as you come in as a newcomer, you sense that this place is different. It's like people expect God to speak. They expect him to lead. They expect him to move. And when he does, they're following. And life has become an adventure. The second thing I think you're going to notice is that the, these people here are hungry for God. There's a tremendous hunger. You, you see it in the most commonplace ways. It comes time to our, our time of teaching on the weekend, and all of a sudden, Bibles are coming out. Bibles are marked up. Pages, uh, uh, note sheets are coming out. Notes are being taken. Things are being written down. There's a sense of we're here to meet with God, and there's a hunger to meet with Him. And it's an expectation because it's what we've come to experience every week. We expect God's going to show up. We expect He's going to speak. We expect the dance is going to continue, the dance of transformation. So we're sitting on the edge of our seats because we, we want to hear from Him. And, and we want to hear what the next step in our growth is. And so there's this whole expectation things that happen. And it's not just in our weekend services. It happens in our life groups. No longer will there be a life group where half the people come without their homework done because everyone is going to be hungry to learn. They will have listened to the sermon. If they're out of town, they're going to they're podcast. They're going to download it so they can start the learning process. They're going to do the homework when they come. The answers are filled in. And they're ready to share. And they're ready to share what God's saying to them, what they're learning, what they don't understand. They're ready to listen to one another and iron sharpening iron, learning what they're just hungry to, to grow. I see a church where there's stories. I told you two stories from the last two weeks. There's going to be stories. Stories in our life group, stories in our week of service. There's going to be stories going on of God speaking, us following, and being changed in the process. Stories about work, stories about our family, stories about our marriages, stories about dating, stories about uh, 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 dealing with our past. There's going to be story after story of, of change happening, supernatural change happening. We're going to become a people of character. What's going to happen is in these valleys we serve, people are going to start coming to Jesus because they're going to see lives that are truly changed. There's going to be the bosses that are going to smile when they hear that someone from Rocky Peak applied to their position because they can't ask the question. They're hoping that there's some there. They just want to get them on their team because they're the most positive, energetic, loyal, hardworking, full of integrity people. They're bright, they're creative, and they, we just want them on the team. We're going to place a character. And more than anything else, we're going to become a church that's unleashed in our lives. We're going to be renewed, recreated, reformed in the image of our Creator. Life as it was meant to be lived. Life to the fullest. Because God is alive, active, and interactive in our midst. And as a result, there's going to be people coming to Rocky Peak that are hungry. Because they're going to know you. And they're going to watch the change in your life. And they're going to watch the change in your marriage. And they're going to watch the excitement, the zest you have for life. They're going to want some of that. <coughs> they're going to want to learn about this teacher that you follow. And they're going to come and they're going to enroll in the school of Jesus. Students like the teacher.